You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord. I had great joy one day a long, long time ago. October 1998. After months of anticipation, fear, terror, What if she says no? (laughs) I finally said to Jenny, you're the kind of person I would like to date. By the way, that's still true. (laughs) And she answered, I would like that. And I was so stunned that I stammered, is that a yes? And she said, I've been waiting two years for you to ask me. I'd had no idea. I went home with great joy that night because when you want another person and you find out they want you too, there is great joy. I've told you that story before, but I wanted to tell it again. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) You might have great joy when you pick up the phone and it's the person you interviewed with yesterday. And they say, we would like to offer you the position. We were very impressed. And you keep your cool in the moment, right? Because you're just a composed person like that. And you say, thank you. I look forward to working with you. When do I begin? But as soon as you disconnect that call, you jump for joy. You're so excited. Because there is great joy when you want someone and they want you. It's the same with our relationship with God. When you find out that he wants you and you want him too, You have great joy. That's how it was with the first Samaritan Christians. We're in Acts chapter 8 today as we continue our study through the book of Acts. Now, Samaritans are important in our story, and Samaritans were a sort of, they they were sort of Jews in Jesus' time. They'd been around at least a couple hundred years before that. Uh, They believed and practiced a little differently from most Jews. They didn't believe in going to the temple in Jerusalem, for example. They thought you should worship God on Mount Gerizim. They had some arguments from Scripture for that. Uh, They and the Jews usually despised each other. They had had conflicts over the previous couple centuries, and uh, they didn't get along well at all. I understand there are still a few Samaritans around today that live right by or on Mount Gerizim in in Israel, just a a few hundred, I think. Well, Jesus had said in Acts 1 and verse 8 that his apostles would be his witnesses first to Jews, then to Samaritans, and then to the whole world. We are still very early in the history of the church, sometime in the church's first few years. And at this point, the church has only recently begun to spread outside Jerusalem. Now that Stephen, the first Christian martyr whom we read about last week has been killed, and a devout Jew named Saul is persecuting the church, imprisoning Christians. The church is beginning to spread out. Uh, Really, they're scattering. They're fleeing for their lives, dispersing into places that, that hopefully will be safer than Jerusalem. But wherever they went, the believers were faithful to Jesus and carried the good news of Jesus with them. And one man in particular took the message of Jesus to the Samaritans. So let's read about that. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Those who had been scattered 
preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. We met this man, Philip, back in chapter 6. He was one of the seven chosen to make sure that the church's ministry to its widows continued and, and the uh, widows, none of the widows were neglected. He was uh, one of the seven along with uh, Stephen who uh, was martyred uh, in chapter 7. Now, like so many, Philip has left Jerusalem but he's still doing excellent ministry. He's still sharing the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, as Luke puts it in verse 12. And God is very powerful in his work through Philip, so that Philip is able to perform signs, miracles, to confirm the truth of his message about Jesus. He drives, in, drives out impure spirits, demons, from people. He heals people who are paralyzed or lame. Just incredible things he is doing. And because of these wonderful things God is doing through Philip, there is great joy in that city where Philip is preaching. Verse 6 says, The people, seeing the signs Philip performed, paid close attention to what he said. Verses 9 to 12 tell us that God's power through Philip was so amazing that he even outshone this local sorcerer, Simon, who had amazed the people for a long time. And so they believed Philip's message about Jesus, and they were baptized, both men and women, and even Simon himself believed and was baptized. And there was great joy in that city. And it's the same for us. If you follow Jesus... Think back to when you came up out of the water of your baptism. How did you feel that day? How did you feel? Some of us stayed calm. You know, just like you do on the phone when they tell you that they want to offer you the job. But on the inside, you're actually quite excited or relieved or grateful or all of the above. And then some of us came out of the water and wanted to jump for joy. Why? Because God wanted us, and we wanted him too. Because, like the New Samaritan Christians, we saw all the good God was doing in the lives of people around us in our, and in our own lives, and all that he wanted to do. And it thrilled us the way it thrilled the people who saw Philip's miracles. God gave us real hope for life after death because he raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. God gave us his promise that we will be saved from his judgment. If we belong to Jesus, we have nothing to fear from God. 
God gave us his peace to calm our fears and to encourage us. God gives us guidance for how to live our lives so that we can live wisely and courageously with purpose. God gives us his help in everyday living. God gives us the community of his church so that we can help each other live for Jesus so that we are never truly alone. Most of all, God gives us himself. He gives us Jesus who loves us and the Holy Spirit who lives in us and the Father himself who guides us and teaches us and hears our prayers. Most of all, God gives us himself. And so when we begin to follow Jesus, we have great joy. So my friends, think about someone you know who needs Jesus. And if you are sincere about your faith in God, and you know anybody in the community, you know someone, you have a connection to someone who needs Jesus. If you want them to follow Jesus someday, let them see your joy in the Lord. Don't hide it. Now, don't flaunt it either. Don't, you know, put it in their face. But just let it be a natural part of who you are. And whenever the opportunity comes up in as natural a way as possible, just tell them what the Lord has done for you that has given you joy. Um, tell them how he answered your prayer or helped you break an addiction. Tell them how he got you through a hard time. Explain how his commands keep you out of trouble. Tell them how the Lord filled you with joy. Our God gives us great joy through the good news of Jesus our Lord. But if we're going to keep that joy and really make it last, we have to be sincere about our faith. It has to be genuine faith. Us seeking God, obeying God, investing in our relationship with God. Uh, that joy that we have in the Lord is not automatic. Like you come up out of the water and forever you're going to be uh, just joyful in the Lord. No, it comes from us having a healthy relationship with God. Marriage can be a joyful thing. One day she says, I've been waiting two years for you to ask. And another day she says, I do. And so many days you look back on those moments and you thank God. But marriage can also be very difficult, even painful. I mean, even the best marriages are a struggle, at least sometimes. Because even if you married the perfect spouse, they probably did not. So you have to work at it, you know? You just have to work at it. Your spouse married a human being. There's a reason why Jesus and Paul both said it's better for some people not to marry. Marriage can be difficult. And one behavior that can really drain the joy out of a marriage is when one or both spouses start thinking it's the other person's job to make them happy. And so the marriage becomes about me and my happiness. When actually God has taught us in all our relationships to look out for the needs of others. A little less for ourselves, a little more for others. And especially when it comes to marriage, we're to look out for our wife, for our husband. If you make the marriage about yourself, it will struggle and it may fail. If you want a marriage that you can enjoy, you have to devote yourself to blessing your spouse. Whether they do the same for you uh, or not. Hopefully they will. 
a good job can be a very joyful thing. They offer you the job, you accept it, you get started at work, you start bringing home a paycheck, and boy, that feels good. You're helping people in the community, maybe even in the world, uh, through the work that you provide. It can be very fulfilling. But I remember a coworker I had when I was a young man, worked at a grocery store. She was funny. She was a good worker. She'd been at that store for a few years. We'd gotten to know each other a little bit. She liked to call me David because she just thought that would be a good name for me, which was funny because that's actually my middle name, and she didn't know that. She called me David, and it worked for us. I was there the day she got fired. I saw them hand her her last check, saw how angry she got, stormed out of the store. Well, they had caught her stealing money from the cash register, caught it on video. I don't know why she did it. But somewhere in her reasoning, she must have started thinking about what she wanted for herself instead of her responsibility to her employer. And it cost her that job. And it's the same with our relationship with God. Our joy in the Lord comes from having a healthy relationship with God. And that relationship and that joy will only endure if we keep our focus on honoring Him and being faithful to Him. The story of Philip's ministry in Samaria continues with a little more about Simon the sorcerer who had become a follower of Jesus. Simon, he slipped up in his faith and he almost lost his relationship with God. Let's take a look at the rest of this story, picking up in verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of, God, the, word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Well, what's happening here with uh, the apostles Peter and John coming from Jerusalem to Samaria uh, is God is giving his divine stamp of approval to the very first uh, inclusion of Samaritans in his church. This is the first time that people who are not full, normal Jews are brought into the community of the church. And a person might have thought, well, the Samaritans can become Christians, but they've got to become Jews like us before they can be acceptable to God. But the way that God demonstrates that he welcomes them just as they are is that he waits to give these first Samaritan believers the Holy Spirit until the apostles Peter and John 
come from Jerusalem and sort of make it official by laying their hands on them. And then the new believers suddenly receive the Holy Spirit and everyone can see clearly that God welcomes Samaritans into his church. And they don't have to become Jews. They can be Samaritans. But now they have come to believe in Jesus. God will do something similar with the first Gentile believers in chapter 10. But this story is as much about Simon the sorcerer as it is about the other Samaritan believers. He believes in Jesus, and he follows Philip around because he knows true power when he sees it, and he certainly sees it in Philip. And now when the apostles lay their hands on people and those people receive the Holy Spirit, that's even greater power. And and Simon notices it, and he wants it. He has probably made a good living off of convincing people that he has special power. He has told the people that he is someone great. Now he sees this power, and he wants it. So he offers to pay money for it. But Peter rebukes him and says, may your money perish with you. Why? What did Simon do wrong? Well, he made God's gift of the Holy Spirit be about himself about getting power for himself instead of letting that gift be about God, about bringing glory to God. He was like the husband who makes the marriage be about getting his wife to please him or the employee who forgets that she's there to serve the company and their customers and begins to take money for herself. Simon made his faith at that moment be about himself rather than about his relationship with God. Anytime we orient our faith so that the focus of our faith is ourselves, our relationship with God breaks down and our joy is drained away. And so think about the joy that you have in the Lord or don't have and think about how your relationship with the Lord uh, is going. If you only pray so that God will give you what you need, and not also to devote yourself to God and just express your love for Him and just spend time with Him and just listen to Him, then your joy in prayer will fade. If you always only pray about what you need, what you want, your joy will fade because you're not investing that time in your relationship with God. And it will become hard for you to pray. If you only share in the life of the church so that you can get fed spiritually, but you neglect opportunities to also bless your brothers and sisters in Christ and to grow in relationship with them, your joy in the church will fade, and you will find it hard to rouse yourself on a Sunday morning to come and be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're only a Christian so you can go to heaven, and not because you love God and want to honor Him, then You need to devote yourself to growing as God's child or else your relationship with God will break down and you will have no more joy in the Lord. Jesus said in Mark 8, verse 35, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We receive life at its fullest from God when we put God first and give Him our best. 
It's true in marriage. If you want a great marriage, you and your spouse have to each focus on blessing the other person. It's true at work. If you want to get the most enjoyment from your job, you have to aim to serve well. Most of all, it's true in our faith. We are blessed and full of joy because God gave us the very best he had. Jesus, our Lord, who died for us. And God did this because he loved us even before we loved him. We continue to grow in God's blessing. And we are daily filled with joy, even on our hardest days, if we continue to focus not on our own selfish desires like Simon did, but on doing everything to please God and to bring him honor. I think Simon repented. I, I think he did. I, I hope he did. It's hard to tell. It seems to me that his answer to Peter, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me, suggests that he really did want to make things right with God. So I think he repented. Luke just doesn't tell us the rest of Simon's story. So hopefully he did turn back to God. Because when we turn away from our sin, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, and commit ourselves to God, God fills us with great joy. The joy of knowing him, walking with him, and experiencing all of his blessings. God gives us great joy as we love him and walk with him because he loves us so much. And he takes so much joy in each one of us just as any good father does with his children. And the joy that our God then gives us becomes a message of joy that we share with the people around us. A message that honors God and that brings people into a good relationship with their creator through Jesus our Lord. So my friends, walk with God this week. Honor him. Don't be selfish in your relationship with him. Don't be selfish in your faith, but look for ways to honor the Lord. And enjoy him. Take joy in our God and think of all the blessings that he brings to us. And enjoy those, because God has given them to you for that reason. May God bless you with joy this week. And let's pray together and ask for God's blessing. Our Father, thank you for the joy that you take in us as we turn to you, as we live for you, as we walk with you day by day. Thank you for all the hope you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for his resurrection from the dead. Thank you for your spirit who lives within us and brings your love into our hearts and who guides us and helps us and intercedes for us when we pray. Thank you, Lord, for all your help through your spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us yourself. Lord God, bless us this week. Help us to just enjoy you. Fill us with a sense of joy in your presence in our lives and your love for us. For we know how much you want us. You showed us when you gave Jesus as a sacrifice for us. And Lord, we want you as well. Bless us. Help us to look to you, Lord. Help us not to be selfish in our relationship with you, but to truly devote ourselves to you. And, uh, and then, Lord, we know that you will have plenty of blessings uh, to share with us. Thank you for your church. Bless your church, Lord. Help us to love it well. Help us to nurture it well. Guide it. Watch over us today. Father, thank you for the food that's been prepared that we'll share in a little bit. Bless it and bless our time together. Thank you for reopening our society enough that we can have a meal together again. Lord, bless us and watch over us this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.